good stuff coming, and we're kind of right in that, in that spot between, uh, you know, getting ready to gear up for a whole lot of stuff and, and almost kind of finishing up a season here at 6-8 Church. And so, you know, once we, once we get into August as a church, we're really, we're kind of turning on all the circuits, and we're going as far and as fast as we can, getting ready for everything to kick off in the fall with a block party. And so, but we kind of have this gift, really, if you think about it, a gift for just a, a few moments here towards the end of July as we can stop and reflect and, and think about things. And as I was doing that, I was kind of wrestling with what it was that God really wanted to share with us or teach us this morning in my my prayer time and in my listening time throughout this week went about a hundred different directions until I finally came to where we are, and I'm excited about it for this morning. So hopefully uh, you will be excited about it too as we get there. But um, before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Where are you? I was expecting at least one person to say that. <laughs> 6A Church. If you don't know that you're at 6A Church, then we need to talk afterwards. But uh, where, no, where are you? Now, uh, I'll, I'll answer that, get into that in just a little bit. But before we do that, you know I like to garden, right? Does anyone else? I know we have several gardeners here in the church, and so, yeah, it's good. It's good. Gardening is good, and uh, it's good to know where your food comes from. And, and there's a lot of principles that you can learn from the garden. And actually, if you, if you garden and you do some of the work of learning how to garden and dealing with some of the stuff, it actually brings a lot of the Bible to life because a lot of the parables and illustrations used in the Bible were written in an agriculturally-based society. And you don't really understand that if you haven't done some of the stuff. And so it kind of brings it to life and helps you gain some understanding. So there are really good spiritual reasons for having a garden as well. But... Um, we went on vacation, you know, at the beginning of the summer, and when we came back, we had a problem. Anyone guess what my problem was? Weeds in the garden. Cover- See, it rained the whole, one of the whole weeks that we were gone, it rained. And our garden, it's a really old garden, it's, a, it's 50 feet wide by 100 feet long, and it's been in this spot for a long time which means that there's been a lot of opportunities for weed seeds to kind of get spread out across the garden. And so if you let it go for very long at all, it'll just kind of be overrun with weeds. Well, we were gone for two weeks, uh, almost exactly, and came back, and that's exactly what had happened. I, could, I walked out to the garden on the evening we got back, and I could see the corn, kind of, but it was kind of buried in amongst the weeds. And the tomatoes were fine because I had buried them in grass clippings before we left, so they didn't have a lot of weeds coming up around them. But down at the other end of the garden where we had, you know, our carrots and some of our, uh, you know, the broccoli and cabbage and green beans just covered in weeds. And literally, since we got home from vacation until now, I have been working to weed our garden and get it back under control. I can tell you, finally, now, at least... This morning, it is weeded. There's a lot of other, a lot of other stuff. But if you know, if you've used a garden, if you've raised a garden, you know that a garden won't weed itself, right? Wouldn't that be great if you had a garden that weeded itself? Roundup, yeah. Don't get me started on, on Roundup and our food, Roundup. Um. <laughs> It won't weed itself, right? 
It also won't water itself. How many days has it been since it rained? Anyone know besides Ryan Lounsbury? <laughs> Three? No, real rain, measurable rain. 34, how many, Ryan? 34. 34 days since it rained. So not only will the garden not weed itself, but the garden will not water itself, right? And so you have to make sure that you take care of the garden in these ways. And um, it's easy for weeds to kind of get in and choke out everything that's growing in the garden. And it's easy for, for your vegetables to not really grow because they don't have water. They might survive, right? You might look out at a garden and you'll see things kind of alive, but they're turning a little bit yellow, but they're not really going to produce much fruit. And we kind of got used to the season of rain, right? In the Northwest, we get used to the rain, and we kind of have the season where we expect the rain, and we know that the rain is going to come at a fairly regular interval, and we can rely on the rain that's coming from the sky to take care of the watering and keep everything green. That's why we're called the evergreen state, because, which by the way, the first time I saw that phrase, I was driving, was when I moved here, and I was driving here from Ohio, and I came in through the north part of the state into from Idaho into Washington State, and there's on this sign, Welcome to Washington, and then it has the slogan, the Evergreen State, and it's August, and it's the eastern part of the state, and it's like, it's all brown, and it's like, I questioned the motto just a little bit. I knew because I'd been out to this side of the state why it was that, but still, we might want to rethink that a little bit because two-thirds of the state isn't really evergreen, but anyway... We can expect the rain. The rain's going to water stuff, and it's going to keep it green, and we can kind of establish this pattern and routine based on that, right? You don't have to work to keep things green when it's raining. But when it hasn't rained for 35 days, it takes work and effort to keep things green, right? It's a new season. It's a different season that we're in right now. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, I want to share with us a little bit about this idea and uh, dig into this passage a little bit. Jesus is speaking. This is, on the, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. This is his first public address as he's starting his public ministry. And this is kind of how he sets the stage. He, he, he lays the groundwork for the kind of ministry that he's going to be talking about and establishes some new norms for how we're supposed to live our lives as, as his followers, as followers of Jesus Christ and as sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is getting close to the end, not at the very end, but it's getting close to the end of his talk. So he says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Sometimes he uses you and your garden to feed them, but that's a different story for a different time. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you you of little faith. I want to stop right there because um, I want to point something out that I think maybe should help shape our perspective of listening to Jesus. Because a lot of times he'll, he'll throw that phrase in there, 
you of little faith, or when he's, uh, when he's talking especially with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the elders, he seems to be really harsh and negative, right? I mean, it seems like Jesus is just bringing the hammer down on these people. And that was all the time how I would read that. And I would read that through the Sermon on the Mount, who just kind of as, as he's just going to bring the hammer down on us and he's going to set us straight. But really, I think what is happening is actually grace and mercy and truth. We've talked about this a lot. And um, you know, it's, there is a truth that God has created, right? And there's this, there's this whole world, there's this whole system, there's this whole structure and design that God put into place. And we know because if we read the Bible, it not only tells us that, but if we live according to that, then we will thrive, we will have joy and peace and life when we're walking with God and walking with Christ. And then we also know that there's this whole other set of ideas that is now being called truth, Right? And we live in a day and age where you can kind of come up with your own truth and create your own truth and say that this is true for me and that what's true for me may not be true for you, but that doesn't matter because it's true for me and we cannot trump that because, you know, it's just personal. It's, it's, it's what I think. But we know that that's not right, right, because, because God laid out a truth for us. But also, I want to think about those living in what they think is truth that are really being deceived. Now, don't hear me wrong, because I'm not saying we should become the people that go and shout condemnation on the world that doesn't believe like we believe. That, that's not going to accomplish anything. That, that brings destruction and leads people away from God, not towards God. But, but there is, the, the pendulum now has kind of swung to where we don't ever want to address the issue, and I've been there. I, I have been there deeply a lot myself because it's really awkward to address some of the issues that have become so important in our culture today that they are the truth that defines who I am. And yet, if we know the truth and we know that if you're living apart from God's truth and you're living counter and against God's truth, that you're going to have a life of struggle and turmoil and pain, Shouldn't we who know the truth find gracious and merciful ways to bring in God's truth to those who are living outside of it? And I think that's where we kind of need to move as believers in this culture. It's, it's not that we're going to go out and confront people and say, you're in danger, you're, you're going to hell if you don't change your life. But, but, but what if we can come alongside them in a really meaningful, caring way and we say, you know what, where you're going is going to destroy you. Come here, let me show you something. And we bring them back to God's Word. I think that's more of the tone, maybe, that, that Jesus probably had when he was sharing some of these things, and he would throw those phrases in, you of little faith. It's not a putting down of the people around them. It's, just, it's, it's more of a calling up to the life that he wants them to experience. He's not hammering on people, you, know, you of little faith, you just, you just need more faith, but, but he's painting this picture of what life with God, life with Christ is supposed to be like, and, and he's saying, look, i got to call you out of that into something better, and you cannot stay where you are with your little faith and experience me at the same time. You need to step into something new if you want to experience me. So think about him using that tone of voice, that expression, as I read it again. Verse 28, 
Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Look, he's he's not saying they're not important. He's not even saying that they're not needs. But he's saying, don't run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, and just like he has proven that he's provided for the birds of the air, he will provide for you too. Don't let yourself be consumed with the pursuit of these things. But what? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Anybody sitting here, you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody sitting here right now just kind of stressed out about what tomorrow is going to bring? You know, it's like there's a lot of work on my desk when I get back to work, or there's this situation in my house or in my neighborhood that I have to deal with, and right now I'm kind of free from that. I don't have to worry about it, but uh, there's trouble waiting in tomorrow. Isn't there always trouble waiting in tomorrow? Even if you don't know that trouble is waiting tomorrow, there can always be trouble in tomorrow. So, so why do we worry about tomorrow? Worry about it when you get there. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just focus on what God has given you today. Okay, so what does any of this have to do with anything that we've been talking about so far? Give me some time, and I think we'll, we'll kind of draw it together and, and finish some things up here. But we're kind of, you know, we're finishing a year of ministry, kind of, sort of, and getting ready to launch into another year of ministry. And I've been doing a lot of thinking, a lot of evaluating, a lot of just looking at our church and, and, and where we are, and, and kind of been asking some questions that are similar to this, like, where are we right now? Where are we as a church? And I have a lot of thoughts about that. We're actually going to start to address those in August as we get into that, and I'm really, really excited about the stuff we're going to be talking about as we start off August and, uh, and head into fall. So I don't think you're going to want to miss it. I think it's going to be some really great, uh, important talks for us as a church. So make sure you just, just start planning now for being here every single Sunday in August and, and just all the rest of the Sundays of the rest of your life. Just plan on being here. So... Um, But I've been asking this question, where are we as a church? And the only way to really answer that question is to ask, where are you? I can't can't answer this question. I mean, I have some ideas. I have thoughts. I have observed us as our church family for the last year, and I kind of see some things that that I think we need to work on, some things that have worked well, some things that are not working, and I have a lot of those thoughts. But the only way to know where we are as a church is to know where you are right now in your walk with Christ. So I have some questions I really want you to think about, and as we go through this morning, you might even want to take that connection card and jot them down or take some notes or, you know, open your notes app on your phone and just kind of write them down and and think about this. And I want to ask, what's your growth like right now? Not, 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 you know, talking church growth. I, I have none of that in mind as I'm thinking about this. I'm talking about you and your walk and your relationship with God. What is your growth like right now. 
Because I think a lot like gardening, the same is true. Yeah, someone just texted in, if we worry about tomorrow's problems, then we get tomorrow's problems today. What's your growth like right now? See, right now we're in what's called the growing season. For the garden, that is. We're in the growing season, right? The sun is abundant. And I don't know about you, but I am ready for some rain, right? It's like, there has just been too much. I know I'm not like all of you. It's like, well, we only had 35 days of sun. That's not nearly enough. Well, we'll get more. It's just, I just want some rain for now. It's like, but the sun is abundant. We have a plethora of sunshine right now. I mean, the sun comes up at 5.30 in the morning, and we have one of the windows in our room is faces the east, and so 5.30 in the morning, that blessed sun comes streaming through our windows, and then it shines all the way until 9 o'clock at night. That is a lot of sunshine, right? I mean, we have a very minimal time of darkness right now. We just have a lot of sun. But you need sun to make things grow, right? Plants need the sun to be able to grow and to produce fruit. So it's important. But being in the middle of the growing season doesn't mean that these plants are naturally going to grow because there may be other issues that are keeping them from growing. We're right in the middle of the growing season, but if I'm not watering my garden right now, then nothing's going to grow. If I haven't weeded my garden, things aren't going to grow. They'll be choked out by the weeds. And so I have to ask, what's your growth right now? Are you growing? Are we growing in our walk with Christ? See, God may be wanting to grow you right now. He may be wanting, to, wanting you to experience abundant growth as he shines abundantly in your life right now, but are you expecting God to do all of the work of the garden? That God, wants, God wants your garden to grow. God wants you to grow in your relationship with him, but, but are you expecting God to just kind of come in and do everything for you, or are you still watering and weeding? So what's your growth right right now. When was the last time you really experienced growing in your relationship with God? When was the last time you really experienced a, a lot of newness in your walk with God and, and you were experiencing new, new truths and God was planting new truths deep into your heart and you were living them out on a day-by-day -day basis and as you lived them out, you found abundance and you found this life of joy and peace? When was the last time you experienced growing in your relationship with God where you walked day by day and with each passing moment with God and you knew God was leading you to this and leading you away from that? When was the last time you experienced that kind of growing in your relationship with God? He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Have we let all these things creep in and start choking out our growth and our relationship with God? See, have we become like what Jesus was talking? Don't worry about these things, what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. The pagans run after these things. You seek me first. But have we let these other things that are around us start to creep in and choke us out because we're pursuing the other things in our lives and we're not pursuing our relationship with God any longer? Have we neglected some of the basics, assuming that they just take care of themselves and I don't have to worry about it anymore?
What are some of the basics? The basics are spending time with God every single day, praying, reading His Word, listening, spending some time actually after you've read His Word and you've prayed, letting God speak to you. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking through the Spirit of truth, He will correct and change things in our lives. And as we grow in our relationship with Him and we kind of work at that on a day-by-day basis, we'll find our lives living more in accordance with God's truth and less and less like the world around us. And those weeds and those things that are choking out this fruit that God wants to produce in our lives, they'll just start to drift away and become no longer concerns. And we'll find the promises taking root in our life. But when was the last time you experienced that kind of growth in your relationship with God, or have we neglected those basics that got us to that point? See, when we grow, we have to learn new habits and routines that will take us where we want to go. And then when we want to grow from there, we have to continue to do what got us where we are and learn new habits and routines that take us further. Let me illustrate. A few years, a few summers ago, you know that uh, I climbed Mount St. Helens, right? And some of you were still around there. And I've shot myself in the foot with that because I did that. And we've talked about that so much that now Hannah wants to climb Mount St. Helens. I'm going to have to do it again. So, uh, So I know what's coming this time. At least I can prepare myself a little bit better. But you know, I climbed this mountain, and you know, I'm not the most in shape kind of guy. That's just not my my makeup or my design. And somebody said, "Well, it's just because you don't work hard enough." And you know, whatever you can think, whatever you want, and I'll think whatever I want. And that's my truth, and you just believe your truth, and we'll just call it good. But um, but so I you know, I knew I was really out of shape at the time, and so we lived out in Washougal, and and, and as we lived, we kind of lived at 200 or 230 feet in elevation, but. As you went up our neighborhood and you kind of wind up in some of the back roads, I could get all the way up to 750 feet in elevation. And if I kept walking, I could get up to 1,000 feet in elevation. And so I just kind of, you know, I started the first couple of times just walking, trying to get to gain 100 feet in elevation. And it would take literally all that I had to get there. And luckily, it was all downhill on the way back home. And so I could get up there and then I could kind of coast on the way home. And then I would do that again and it would get a little easier. And I'd do that again and it'd get a little easier. And then the the next week, I would just try to go a little bit further, and I'd go up the hill just a little bit further, and I'd try to gain 200 or 300 feet in elevation, and then, then I would do that for a while until I got used to doing that for a while, and then I would go a little bit further, you know, so until I got to a point where I'm able to go up. So it's still work. It's still hard work, and if you don't know me, you just, I sweat no matter what. You probably see that on Sundays, anytime I'm standing, essentially, and you know, so it's like I know that it's work, and so it's like my body is sweating and telling me that I'm working, you know, so this is, this is hard work, but it's starting to pay off, and so then later I would go out and I'd start going down some of the, some of the hikes in the gorge, and I'd find the ones that had the hardest, steepest elevation climbs, and so I'd start going, and I'd have to go, and I'd go out there one time, and I'd only get halfway, and I'd go out the next time, and I'd get a little further, and go out the next time, get a little further. Don't worry, I was never one of those guys that got lost and couldn't find my way back. I was able to get home every time, but you know, as I was getting closer to this day when I knew I was going to have to climb Mount St. Helens with a whole crew of people who were in a lot better shape than I was, I started pushing myself harder and harder, but then I had, you know, just kind of this one, you know, the one the night before. It's like, okay, well, I don't want to, because I had family in town from, from Ohio and stuff, so I don't want to go take like six or seven hours and go do this big hike out in the gorge, so I'm just going to just do the one right here real quick, and just did it and just found my, wow, this is, this is, this is a lot easier. 
a lot easier than when I first started. And then, of course, the next day was not anywhere near like the day before. It was like, there were so many things that I was not planning on and counting on, like the boulder fields. And I've talked about, you know, climbing. So much of climbing Mount St. Helens has nothing to do with climbing a mountain. It's just you're climbing and hurtling these big boulders that came out when it erupted years ago. And then you get to the top, and it's not like climbing, you know, another mountain where you've got snow at the top. There's all this pumice. And so it's like two steps forward and five steps back, and you're just trying to, you know, and finally you kind of get to the top. And that's one of the pictures that we actually still have up on our refrigerator because it's the proof that I made it, right? It's like, I was there. I made it to the top. And it took me longer to get down than it took me to get up. And so, but I know that, you know, I could not have made it to the top of Mount St. Helens if I had not started training my body to make it to the top of the hill by our house. You see, we, we want to, I think all of us have a desire right now in this moment to grow in our relationship with God, but we think that what's getting us to the top of the hill by our house is going to get us to the top of the mountain, and it's not. If we want to grow from where we are, then we have to start doing new things to take us where we want to be. What got us here won't get us there. See, it's hard. It's, it's a challenge but our bodies get used to it. And we get to our next goal, and we work a little harder, and we get to our next goal, and we work a little harder, and we get to our next goal. So I have to ask, are we wanting more out of our relationship with God and yet still giving the same effort? See, what God is to this point in our relationship with God won't get us to where we want to be in our relationship with God. And we maybe kind of have come through a, a green season, right, where, where God was just kind of pouring out water on us, but he wants to take us into a new season of life. And to get us into this new season where things are really going to grow means we kind of have to take over some of this stuff that was just happening before. And so, but there's all this new life that he wants to grow in us. So what's your growth like right now? When was the last time you really experienced growth in your relationship with God? Are you wanting more out of your relationship with God and still get, while still putting in the same effort? And then I have to ask, what's the shift that needs to take place? What's the shift? It may only be a couple of degrees that you need to kind of change so that you can start growing in your relationship with God again. But what's the shift Here's where our focus is supposed to be, according to Matthew chapter 6 and what Jesus is saying. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So first we're supposed to seek God's kingdom, right? That's the first thing. Well, what does it mean to seek God's kingdom first? I had to do some research and study to really get an understanding of it because I think it's very significant that we start there. Seek God's kingdom first. Well, I think that maybe one of the things that we can say is that this is seeking your relationship with the king first. Seek God's kingdom first and, and, and approach the king and building a relationship with the king. This is, this is what we talk about all of the time. This is, this is your seat at the table. 
This is your seat at the table with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is what we're supposed to pursue. We're supposed to pursue our position as a son or a daughter of the King first, coming and knowing God and residing or resting in our position that He has granted us because of Jesus Christ. Seek that first. Seek God first. Seek His kingdom first. And then, what is it that we're supposed to seek? Well, then we're supposed to seek God's righteousness. Whoops. Seek God's righteousness. What does it mean to seek? Don't worry, the screen's not broken. What does it mean to seek God's righteousness first? Well, we seek God's kingdom. We know God. We have a relationship with God. We are in our spot as his son or his daughter. And as we receive this joy of being a child of God, then that changes how we live our lives. And now we have a new desire because we see now we're seated at the table. We're not, we're not you know, clawing and, and scrapping to try to fight our way in. We have received this gift of being able to sit at the table with the king of the universe. And now as we see this, well, I cannot believe this amazing gift that I have received, so I'm going to live however the king says I'm going to live. The king gave me this amazing gift, and, and because he gave me this gift of seat, being seated at his table, I'm now going to go and live my life the way the king says. Whatever the king says, that's what I'm going to do. The king brought me to the table when I didn't deserve to sit at the table, and now he says, go live your life this way, I'm, I'm going to do it. Seeking God's righteousness, seeking His righteousness means living by what God says is right. Living by what God says is right. It's going to be extraordinarily difficult to live by what God says is right if the only time we experience God's truth is here when we have the time to show up. See, it's like, you know, expecting a garden to grow and only watering it once or twice a month. You cannot rely solely on Sundays, especially when it's hard to be here every single Sunday. We have to be at the king's table every single day. We have to come and sit next to the king and just, just listen to him talk and, and teach us and, and tell us the ways of the kingdom and, and how to live this righteous life that he's called us to live. We, we, have to, we have to sit with the king to know what the king says is the right way to live. We're not just going to know it without actually receiving it through the word that he's given to us. Otherwise, we kind of end up where we were talking about earlier, where everything's whatever I feel is right at the moment. See, it's not what you or I think on our own apart from the Word, but what God and His Word says is the right way to live. There are a lot of things that I thought were right until I learned what God says was right, and then I realized that I was really wrong. But then it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with just learning facts about what God says is right. Then we actually have to live it out, right? We have to actually put it into practice. We have to correct our thinking, and then we have to allow the correct thinking to correct our living. We have to receive the truth from God's spirit of truth. That's how he defines himself. The Holy Spirit of truth gives us truth, but it's not truth that we just store up in our head as knowledge that we can spout out as trivia, but it's truth that affects the way that we live. Right thinking affects right living. 
And maybe that's where we're hung up. We, we've learned a whole lot of information, but we haven't actually taken the time to put it into practice and steps of living a right life. But when we have the right thoughts that lead to the right actions, then we are starting to experience what it means to live in God's righteousness. What does it mean to, to live in this place? It means we have to, we, we have to absorb we're going to talk a lot about that in the weeks to come, but we, we have to absorb God's truth, and, and we have to let it, let it soak into the core of who we are. We, we have to stop and, and just for a minute not bring our own agendas and our own pursuits and our own thoughts to God's Word to try to prove what we think is supposed to be happening, but we have to, we have to lay all of that aside, just lay it down and sacrifice that and our own desires and our own agendas just like we talked about. We have to sacrifice everything about what we think is supposed to be happening and just sit at the table and receive can you imagine, can you imagine the scenario I'm talking, it's just, it's like this, the king's, we had this picture growing up where it's called the Lord's table, and it was just this table that went on for forever as far as you could tell in the picture, but you're just sitting at the table and the king is talking. And, and, and the king is sharing with, with us just, just a little bit today. It's just, just this one thing, just, just go and do this one thing. You know, this is, this is what the world says, this is what I say. Now go and live this way. Can you imagine if day after day we did, we did that? It was just, this is what the world says. This is what God says. Go and live this way. How would it change your life if just day by day and with each passing moment we focused on this is what the world says. This is the lie of the world. This is the truth of God. Go and live your life according to the truth and see what it does to your life. And you know what? It's not just that. It's not just my own living right. Because if you know God's truth, you know that there's a lot more to it than just my own personal life. But it will also deeply impact the way your life interacts with the world around you. See, most of us, our lives, when we interact with the world around us, we're still kind of operating out of selfish agendas and selfish pursuits. And so, so we seek to kind of get from the world what we want from the world, and that's kind of how we live our life. But, but that's not how the king's thinking works. The, the king's thinking is a lot different. It's, okay, come here and, and like we said, give everything and nothing less. Lay it, lay it all down in complete surrender and now pick up this life that I've given to you, and now as you apply and live out this life that I've given to you as a gift, it's not going to just affect your own personal life. It's going to start to affect and your life and the lives of those around you as you interact with the people in your life. Do you know what that's called? When, when we're living righteous lives and we're seeking first God's righteousness, do you know what that is called when we're actually doing that? I'll give you a hint. Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? See, when we're living by what God says is right, and we're actually living out God's righteousness, then our lives become lives that are doing justice in the world around us. 
The mission God has given us is just that, doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly. But it's not a selfish pursuit that I do for my own good. It's this, this living rightly. It's, it's learning what the world says is wrong or what the world says is right and how God says that that is wrong and taking God's truth and living that out. And as I live that out, I'm going to do justice to the world around me. As I live out God's truth, the world around me will necessarily be affected because that is the only way God's truth works. God's truth does not go out and return void is what the Bible says to us, but, but as it goes out and as you become an instrument of God's truth and you go out into the world and you live your life of truth in the world of injustice, then you start to be an instrument of God's justice. But what got us here won't get us there. What, what got me where I am with God today won't get me where I need to be with God tomorrow. Have we gotten comfortable? Have we settled into just kind of a routine of this is what my relationship with God looks like, I'm going to do this, and then 30 years from now we're still doing the same thing? I have, to, I have to ask, and actually, I would love a response. If, if you have something that I can do to help you in answering this question, I would love to do it. But what would it take for you to move from here to there? So that's my whole job as your pastor is to help you move from here to there. My whole job is to kind of help you see where you are and then to help you move where God wants you to be. And I want to do that to the best of my ability. I want to help you move from here to there. But sometimes the, the hardest part is getting us to see that where we are is not where God wants us to be. And we've kind of gotten comfortable. We've gotten used to, to what we're doing right now. And we've just kind of, kind of put in our roots and we've just kind of established this thing and we've just kind of gotten used to it and we can coast on this for a long time. And a lot of us probably could coast with where we are with Christ right now and be good for the rest of our lives. You know, just kind of call it good and mail it all in. But, but what if what you're experiencing right now is so much short and shy of what God wants you to experience in the not yet, and God has this great big plan for you to build his kingdom in the world of darkness, and the only way to get there is to finally sacrifice and lay down my here so I can get to there. Are there weeds around you? Are there weeds growing up in you that are sucking the nutrients and the water out of the soil? I don't know if you've done a lot of weeding, but when you're weeding, you got to get that root out, right? If you don't get the root out, the thing just grows right back and sometimes bigger and harder to get out. And, and I don't know if you know this, we try not to walk on every square patch of our garden, you know, so we have pathways where we walk. And, and, and the weeds that are kind of in between the spots where we don't walk, those come out pretty easy because the soil is still soft. But man, when those weeds start growing in the pathway where the soil has been compacted and stepped down and made hard over lots and lots of steps of, of walking over the same thing over and over again, those weeds, when they grow down in that compacted soil, sometimes you can't get them out by pulling them by hand. You have to go and get the space fork and you have to stomp it down and you have to loosen up the ground because if you don't get that whole root of that stupid Canadian thistle, it's going to grow back, right? 
And sometimes you can go and get the spade fork and you can dig down as deep as you can to try to get that root all the way down and you're pulling on it, right? And you get down as far as you can and then, no! It's like, no! You find yourself, so you dig a little bit deeper and you dig a little bit deeper and you dig a little bit deeper until you finally get that last little tip of that root out. And it's not going to come back. It's not going to grow back. And all that does, that, that creates all this space now for, for the roots of the fruit that God wants to produce in your life to go into these voids and these recesses where there was once something stealing the joy and now start to produce more joy. But we don't do that by just coasting. We actually have to be intentional about our walk with God. And some of us, I'm afraid, have a lot of weeds to pull. Where are we? Have we coasted for a long time or have we maybe just even abandoned the basics altogether that got us where we are in our relationship with God? We want something more, but we've abandoned what got us to what we are experiencing right now. We want to climb the mountain, but we stopped hiking the hills. Have we just gotten comfortable? Have we just kind of started mailing it in? And what would it take for me and us together to go from here to there? If we can answer that question together, I think what God will do through this community will far exceed our imagination. What God wants to do through us will far exceed anything we could, we could ever put numbers on paper for. But as long as we're comfortable with where we are, we'll never see that. The only way we get to where God wants us to go as a community is by giving everything. Everything and nothing less. Complete surrender. Not just words that we know in our heads and, and sing as, as a truth that we understand intellectually, but the words that root down deep into the core of who we are. Everything and nothing less. I give you everything and nothing less. I am going to surrender everything and nothing less. My life is yours, completely yours. If there's something still in my life where I'm holding out, if I'm still allowing weeds to come in and take control of my life, point those out to me so that I can give you everything and nothing less. Wherever I am and whatever it is that's got me stopped here in my walk with you, Help me to see that so that I don't have to stay here so that I can start to experience more of you in my life because I want to give you everything and nothing less. Where are you? Where are we? What does God want to do through us? Because I have a dream that is much bigger than any of us can imagine. I'm not talking like some kind of mega church crazy dream. I'm just talking God's children sitting at God's table and going out and living God's righteousness in a way that does justice in a world that doesn't yet believe. Will you stand? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you. I thank you that, that unlike all other religions, you've called us not to a religious 
outworking of our own salvation, that you call us and you start us at a relationship with you. And that as we come and sit at the table with the King of kings and Lord of lords, that as we sit and listen to your truth being taught and shared with us, as we hear the King telling us, do this and you will live. Live this way and you will live. That we're not hearing words that, that are saying, you of little faith and, and dogging us down and hammering us down and trying to, through the pressure of calling us out on things, put us in our place, but we're hearing words, come out of that and into the life that I have for you. I thank you that, that you have said this truth, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that as we receive this gift of grace for you, that we are no longer condemned, but now we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, I pray, pray that as we start to play that out in our lives and start to live that out as who we are, that we are your son, we are your daughter, we are the one that you died for. And as we start to live that out and we start to live the things that you say are truth, not only intellectually, but actually putting them into practice in our day-by-day -day lives, that you have a plan to, to build your kingdom, that you want to bring others out of those things that are stressing them out and worrying them as they worry about tomorrow and bring them in to the joy and the fruit of the peace of the kingdom of God today. Father, that's what I want to be a part of. That's, that's what I want to see happen in us as this church. I do thank you for, for all the things that you have done to bring us to where we are. I, I thank you for all the ways that you've worked in hearts and lives to, to bring about the change that needed to happen so we could stand here today and, and be a church that's just sold out, committed to the mission and the purpose of God. I, I thank you for all of those, those hours that have been given to, to sacrificially give so we can get to this point. And thank you for all those who have been pursuing and, and encourage, encouraging others around them to pursue and get to know this king that died. I'm full of gratitude for that, but Father, forgive us if we thought that was enough. Forgive us if we thought that was where you wanted us to stay. And Father, I pray that you would just plant a little seed in each and every one of our hearts this morning that will grow up and start to show us more and more of what you want us to have for tomorrow. Not to worry about it, not to be anxious about it, but to be working towards it, to, to do everything we can today for building your kingdom. like you say in your word that now is the time. Now is the time that you've called each and every one of us here. Now is the time that you've given us to do this. A time is coming, night is coming when none of us will be able to work. There is a, there is a darkness that is coming that, that we will not be able to work through and what that looks like I don't really know but, but before that darkness comes Father help us to see the wheat in the fields that is ripe for harvest, to go out and do the work that you've called us to do of harvesting that wheat and planting more and more seeds for the kingdom of God and the world and the lives we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.